What's going on, folks? Thanks for hitting that download button and checking out a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. I'm your host, Rich Butler, and if this is the first time you're checking out an episode, first of all, welcome. Second, a bit about what we do here. Toys and Tech of the Trade is an interview series where we sit down with entrepreneurs, content creators, and just awesome folks that are on our radar to discuss the gadgets, the gear, and the tech that they use to run their business, create content, and of course, be more productive. Now, when it comes to the toys aspect of our conversations, it's not just relegated to Marvel Legends or action figures or Funko Pops, you know, the usual things when you hear the word toys. We look at toys in a more general sense. So if you collect kitchen knives, those are your toys. Guitar picks, those are your toys. Maybe you're a sneakerhead like yours truly. Those are your toys. We like to do that to break up the business conversation and just learn a little bit more about our guests on a more personal level. Plus, who doesn't love to geek out about the stuff they're really passionate about, whether it's that comic collection or anything else? With that out of the way, let's get into a little bit of housekeeping and we will turn it over to this week's guest. So, of course, if you're listening to this, we've been off for a few weeks. Uh, things have been a little crazy here. Uh, my grandmother got put in the hospital bunch of other stuff. I'm not going to bog you guys down with too much personal details, but things have been a bit hectic. So, you know, we're just trying to get back on the horse and get you guys the content that you enjoy. But everything is good. Things are kind of picking up steam. We're getting into the holiday season. And as most of you know, we do have a holiday gift guide that we are working on. It'll probably be dropped two weeks after this episode airs. And I look forward to sharing some amazing, amazing stuff that you can get your favorite entrepreneur or yourself this holiday season, because there's really a lot of awesome stuff out there. With that said, I'm going to stop yammering and we're going to turn it over to this week's guest who is going to not only educate you on a variety of things, because this guy, this guy definitely is super talented, but hopefully you'll pick up some actionable advice along the way that you can implement in your business or creative endeavor. Without any further ado, Let's turn it over to this week's guest. My guest for this week's episode's resume reads like Tony Stark from Iron Man or Bruce Wayne from Batman. He is Matthew Stibba. Matthew is a wine connoisseur, a CEO, a pilot, and so much more. We're going to talk about his background as CEO of Articulate Marketing and much, much more. Plus, of course, we're going to talk about the toys and tech of his trade. Matthew, what's going on, my friend? How are you? I'm very happy to be here, and um, that's a that you, you've given me. I'm, I'm sort of rather a diminutive second second class British Tony Stark <laughs> without the jet pack. You know, it's uh, <laughs> you've oversold me a bit there. Well, that, that's by the way, trademark English understatement. <laughs> you know, you know, it's not often that I read about uh, a guest that has such a diverse background, and I think that it's a big part of why I wanted to speak with you because a lot of times CEOs, high performers, they kind of fall into the work first mentality. And you have kind of broken that stigma because you are a large advocate to work from home. You are um, a, a, you know, a consummate professional in terms of how you present yourself. But more importantly, you add a human element to how you run your business. I've seen your content on LinkedIn. You are very people first. And I think in the current climate, that's uh, it, it's very difficult because too many people want to emulate Steve Jobs. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of bad role models for business leadership out there, I think. And I make no particular comment about any individual presenter of this show. But I think the, the idea of The Apprentice as a TV show is a terrible model for business right it's it's all about firing people and the ego of the person that's firing the people and all of that we have our own version here in the uk i'm not talking about i'm not getting into american politics here, right unless you want me to but you know that's a bad model steve jobs being a sort of professional jerk is a bad model yes i mean respect to the man for what he accomplished i agree but he, he was a jerk um there's a fabulous book, which you can actually download for free by Guy Kawasaki. He wrote it and published it back 20-something years ago called The Macintosh Way. And it's talking about the um, early 80s when the Mac was first being developed. And 
that was before Steve Jobs became Steve Jobs. Right. He's talking about that history and Jean-Louis Gasset and all that, the early days of the Mac. Fantastic book. I strongly recommend it. Guy Kawasaki is a great writer and an entrepreneur and a, and a blogger and everything. But that book got me started in business. So since you mentioned Steve Jobs. I no, I, I, I think that's a, that's a great segue. And I want to get into that a little bit and discuss your origin story. Oh, that's awesome. That, that's an amazing vintage Mac for, vintage for Mac those. Plus over there, yeah. That's that's Sorry. outstanding. No, no, no. That's that's great. I I want to dig into your origin story a bit because again, you've you've done so much from uh, marketing with various companies: Microsoft, Google, LinkedIn, HP, Wired, Forbes, Popular Science. Here, like I said, your resume is a who's who. But I want to kind of dig into Matthew the person and how you got your start in in this industry and why such a pivot from working in the video games industry to working in the tech industry. So let's start with the beginnings of, of how you got your start in business. Sure. Well, I, I, as you mentioned, I, I was a computer games entrepreneur in the nineties. Um, and that came about because when I was at, at school, I played a lot of war games, board games, and I took a gap year between school and then going to university. And during that year, I designed some, some computer games um, and I was, lucky enough to get them published. And one was published by EA and one was published by a company called Domark that uh, eventually became IDOS. And then I went to university and I studied history and I really got into the whole, that whole thing. So, and, and I kind of paid my way through university and I launched in, I, I, I d- programmed another game while I was there, um, designed some more. And then when I left university, I set that business up, Intelligent Games, as a game development company. So, you know, I knew very little about business, very little about management, very little about leadership. I liked games and I thought that would be better than going to work in a bank or a management consultancy, which were the other options available to me. Um, Well, okay, that was in 1991 when I graduated university and uh, that year, the first couple of games came out away we went. Um, So I did 10 years or so of actually running a games company and hiring people and eventually offices and and I sold that in the year 2000. Um, so when, when, when that got sold, we, we were about 71, 72, 73 people, sort of that size. We had a big office. We had just done a World Cup soccer game. We had just done a Dune game. Um, we were doing games for Lego. It was a lot of fun. Um, the game side of it. Right. The business side of it. Not so fun. Not so much. And what I found as I, as the business grew, I was spending more and more my, of my time doing business plans and looking at accounts, talking to lawyers, negotiating deals, chasing late payments and just money, business, finance, legal. Now, remember 10 years before I started this, because I loved history and I loved board games. So, you know, I somehow ended up being this business person sort of against my will. <laughs> so anyway, I was very happy to, to sell it, move on. In the last year or two years of, 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 of running that business, I think in order to do something else with my brain, I started writing a column uh, for a magazine in the UK, for a business magazine called Real Business. Um, and I used to review gadgets for them. And I used to just write about, you know, so I just wrote one page a month and sent that off to, to Matthew at Real Business. And I did it for, for love. I, mean, I didn't get paid for it particularly. And uh, anyway, so I sold the company, didn't know what I wanted to do. And I thought, hey, it would be quite fun to do more of that writing thing that I had enjoyed doing that was a distraction from all the business stuff that I didn't enjoy at that point. So I had lunch with Matthew, Matthew Rock. Um, he gave me a whole load of interesting assignments to do. And I kind of became a bit of a freelance writer. So I, I, I was writing for Real Business. And then I started writing for Wired. And I started writing for Popular Science. And um, I, I was also learning to, fl- I, I was lucky because I'd sold the business. I had a bit of money and a bit of time to be a dilettante. I didn't have to write for money. Um, so I would do things like, right, I, this actually happened. I wrote to NASA and I said, can I come and fly on your space shuttle simulator in Houston? Because I was learning to fly at that time. And they went, uh, okay. I mean, the long, the, It took a few months to arrange and they had somebody else and they had a day when they were no astronauts for training. And they said, if you can be here on Friday, 
you can have a session in the flight simulator. Well, this was on like a Wednesday afternoon. So I booked a flight to Houston, flew to Houston. I didn't get paid to write that article, but I, it cost me thousands to get out to Houston. But I got to fly on the space shuttle simulator. So, you know, I was doing, I was having a lot of fun writing about things like uh, for, um, what's that magazine? The Rob Report, you know, sort of, sort of rich people stuff. Yep. They, they, they paid me to write business jet reviews. <laughs> I would just go wow. off and fly in a business jet. I go to Switzerland and fly a PC 12 at Pilatus or something like that. And I had that, you know, so I had this, this, just this, inc- Oh, and I got to interview Sergey Brin. So from Google, wow. I just wrote to them and say, Hey, can I write an article about Google? I've got this assignment from this UK business magazine. And, and they went, yeah, come on over. We'll set up an interview. Anyway. So I did all this stuff. Right. So there's me. Wow getting my pilot's license as a hobby, doing this this crazy sort of writing, using the writing as a reason to go and do interesting things that I geeked out about and I was enjoying, and developing a little bit my ability as a writer. Yeah, And in the course of doing that, I met some people from Microsoft for an article I was writing about research and development laboratories. And I met some people from the Design Council, which was then a part of the sort of quasi-governmental organization promoting design in the UK. And they both gave me my first corporate writing gig. They almost happened around the same time. Wow. And I realized I can do the things I love, like interview people, write stuff, geek out about things. And unlike being a freelance journalist where you have to come up with the idea, sell it to an editor, go make it happen. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's quite hard being a freelance journalist, especially yes. if you want to make a living at it. You do quite a lot of work to get these articles. These companies, I get to do the same stuff and they love it. They're really grateful. They're really happy. They come to me and, and then they pay me a lot more. And so my little commercial entrepreneurial brain went, let's go and do more of that stuff. Absolutely. And, from that, ended up writing for Microsoft, end, ended up writing for Design Council and other bits of the government. I ended up writing for Hewlett-Packard, Symantec, then Google, then wow. Toshiba and Samsung. So all this sort of corporate writing stuff. And that eventually blossomed into Articulate Marketing Today, which is a bigger company with more people and more writing and other marketing services. But it, that, it comes from this content copywriting geeky stuff that i used to do i love i love that number one because your enthusiasm is infectious with regards to that but more importantly because it's something that i always try to tell people when they ask for advice it's about scratching that itch and i want to unpack that a little further because the this is i always say this is a softball question but with all of that what did you want to be when you were a kid I, I remember um, being asked that question when I was a kid, actually just somebody, um, one of my, my mother's friends. And right. um, <laughs> I, I had such a specific answer and looking back on it, it was completely crazy. I wanted to be an astronaut, but I also wanted to run a hotel. Um, so on the weekends, I would be running the hotel and then Monday to Friday, I'd be going to space. That was that was pretty much what I wanted to do. Now, I have no idea why I wanted to run a hotel. I definitely don't want to run a hotel now. I think that's very hard work. Catering hospitality is catering and hospitality is actually the family business and I'm not very good at it. Um, and 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 the f- learning to fly was part of my ambition to become an astronaut. But, it, it, you know, I'm I'm too old and decrepit to do it now. Um well, that's why but I asked. I am. I am a fellow of the British Interplanetary Society, which of all the things, all the letters <laughs> after my name and all my achievements, I'm, is the thing that I'm most proud of. Well, not the most proud of, but I'm, I'm, I'm inordinately and unreasonably proud of being an FBIS, um, along with um, Neil Armstrong, Yuri Gagarin, and um, I think Isaac Asimov and uh, various other lum- luminaries. It's a, it's a proper learned society. Absolutely. Um, that's That's a hell of an honour. And the reason I ask is exactly that, because when we when we're kids, we we say we want to be a bunch of things. But amongst all of those little things that we say we want to be, there's always I like to say breadcrumbs that lead us to where we end up being as an adult. And think about it. You said you wanted to be an astronaut. You got to be you got to do the NASA flight simulator. You got to get your pilot's license. So those breadcrumbs from your childhood, they followed you, uh, so to speak to to go on that path and again it just creates that amazing curiosity that i talk about a lot that people need to explore more and the fact that you 
loved writing, you, you realize like, listen, running business sucks, you know, but I love to write. And how can I turn that passion into a business is amazing. And I think that that's the, the big denominator for so many people that they kind of get stuck exactly that, you know, punching the clock and living this lifestyle that again is a lifestyle of checking off boxes. It's like you go to high school, you graduate, you go to college, you start a family. And by the time you're ready to pursue your own passions, to, to, to quote what you just said, you, you're old and decrepit. You don't want to you don't want to do anything. You're like, you're like I just want to watch TV and do nothing. Um, can I, can I, for, for listeners at home who think this all sounds terribly planned and deliberate and following your dreams and things. There's a very great element of serendipity. And I think meaning let random delightful surprises right and i think it's really um important in, i've this has been my observation of at least in my life to just be listening very carefully to what's going on and listening to your feelings about what you're enjoying and what you're not and and adjust so the year after i sold my business i had absolutely no idea what i wanted to do i hadn't got any plan at all and i Yes, I talked to Matthew. Yes, I was writing some some interesting articles. And over a couple of years, that evolved into an opportunity to start a business. But I also tried to write a novel. I was terrible at it. <laughs> I am a, like the world's worst useless novelist. I went, I mean, I thought it'd be quite cool to go and work for McKinsey or one of these very big clever because i had been at university i've been at oxford and every, all my friends were working for management consultants and banks and making huge amounts of money and i never quite managed that trick so that you know i thought oh, i'll go and interview at mckinsey and and so lots of things that i wanted to, i you know tried out different ideas and you know look almost everything i wanted to do at that year none of them worked the thing that kind of took off and worked was writing so when when people say follow your passion or have a you know there's a bit of that, but I think it's a little bit more. It's a little bit more about listening to your heart, a little bit more try things, get stuck yes. in, give it, your, give it your best shot, see what works and what doesn't. You don't necessarily have to have like a master plan. You don't necessarily have to do it. And I think that's an, I hope for people that, that that's a, a useful a, a, a note. I'm telling you about my failures here rather than my success. Right? No, I, 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 those, these are the, the nuggets of conversation that truly are the most educational because Again, everyone loves the glitz and the glamour and all the pretty things. And that's, that's, you know, that the iceberg goes deep. It's pretty on the surface, but it goes deep. And I think that you sharing all of that is just very indicative of the the career path you've chosen and how you promote yourself and your business. I think that having that curiosity, enjoying the, the process, the grind and everything that comes with it is a big part of the journey. And I think too many people, like I said, they fall into that, that checking off the boxes or trying to be, um, you know, we were, we were talking about it before, you know, next Steve jobs or the next Gary Vaynerchuk or the next, this or the next that. And it's like, be the next you, because that's where the, that's where the fun is. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And try and have a little bit of humanity as you go along. I, I would, I would not, I would rather not be, the next Steve. I mean, I've got the, I've got no chance of doing it. I'd rather not be the next Steve Jobs. I'd rather not if I have to do it by being by being a bit of a dick to people. No, it's true. I think I think that that human element is is crucial. And for you, uh, running your organization and and just seeing all the things that made you unhappy on your career path, I feel that you've applied a lot of that to be a better leader. Am I correct? Like you're like, hey, I didn't want to do this, so I don't want people to lead people like this, or I didn't like this environment. So I don't want this kind of environment. Yes, uh, the, the, certainly uh, the the things that I didn't like um, at Intelligent Games, I've tried to compensate and plan ahead for at Articulate. So we've always been remote working because I hated paying all this rent and rates and taxes when I had you know ten thousand square foot office. Um, I did not like, do not like financey, businessy things, and I have an awesome CFO and an awesome accountant here. Um, and an awesome firm of accountants who support us, who you know take care of the, the money thing. Um, I've got a chief happiness officer because I'm really not that good at the. I'm a little bit geeky and like a little bit uh, difficult. I mean, I can talk to people, but I'm not very good at em, uh, em, shared emotion. You know, right? So you know, I've got I've got people who are very good. HR people who can do that side of things a little bit. 
And then there's this bit that I'm grappling with and struggling with, challenged with, and I'm working on constantly is, is how do I make myself a good leader for the, for the company uh, as, as distinct from being a good manager, because I'm a, you know, a geeky control freak. I like being very good and mastering what I do. And, and, and that's not entirely compatible with delegating to people. No. Because you get very impatient, impatient with people when they don't do it as well as you would, or they don't do it the way you would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also because I'm kind of geeky and techy, I think I'm very one of my strengths. Probably my only strength is the ability to absorb information and process it quickly, and you pick out of the information what I want. Um, it, it, I get a little bit impatient when people are not as quick on the uptake. And I, you know, I'm not very good. So I need to, I need to, I'm working very hard. I'm getting coaching from a, a consultants about this and at the moment, which is why it's on my mind, sort of how I communicate with the company and how I communicate positivity and direction and leadership and intent. Um, it's, you know, there's a whole skill set, which I quite like learning about. I, I, it's a little bit about sort of programming my behavior, which I'm, 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 that's my thing I'm geeking out about right now. No, I think the business of humanity is something that is incredibly underrated. And as a creative and, you know, a geeky person that shares similar interests uh, with you, I, I, I deal with a lot of those same problems, the delegation, the, the, the outsourcing your, your quote unquote weaknesses and, and maximizing your strengths. It's always very difficult to kind of find that delicate balance, but I respect the fact that you said I'm getting coaching to help me be a better leader, because I think that's the first step in the right direction, because a lot of people, they figure, oh, like you said before, you get a good HR person, you get a good CFO, you get good people that you can put in front of yourself. But eventually people have to talk to you. They have to be in a room with you. They have to get FaceTime with you. And if you aren't a confident operator it's going to undermine all the work that you've put into all of these other people that you have out there on the front lines in front of you and i i have a, i have a you know a, a real and specific measurable job about inspiring people about helping them you know see the future in a positive way helping them move towards it helping align people in the direction that the business needs to go helping them overcome their anxieties and you know move forward together you know that that is the job of leadership it is a job and 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 i have to get as good as i can at it and you know i've got i've been i've been hacking away at this rock for the last 20 years i'm still working on it right um i've probably the this, coming back to the conversation we were having earlier, I think one of the things that I, I, I have enjoyed very much about my career, and it, it's related to this, is this idea that you, you, you're doing your job, but you try to do other things that support that and nurture you. So for me, learning how to fly and then having a, a, I'm not a, I'm not a commercial pilot in the sense I don't get paid to fly people, but I fly myself and I have a commercial pilot's license to do it and an instrument rating and so on. The fact that I'm learning how to do that and getting those ratings and qualifications over the years and getting to a high standard of it has helped me be a better manager. It's helped me learn. And it sort of satisfied and scratched my geek bone a little bit. Um, similarly, I did um, sev- well, seven years of learning how to speak Dutch. I'm still not quite fluent, but I'm I, so I can speak my father's language. And and the last few years, I've been geeking out about wine and doing a lot of wine, professional wine studies, um, which is a satisfying, it's quite fun learning about wine. It's not like, that's not like hard work, right? No. But you've got to, you've got to be learning, you've got to be learning new things, you've got to be feeding the well all the time. I think that's, that's very important for, for people that are listening to take in, because at the end of the day, you're always going, you're always working to self-improve. But what people don't understand is that that path of self-improvement benefits everyone else around you because like you said if you're scratching those creative itches if you're keeping the gears well oiled to make you a better operator everyone around you is going to be like man i need to see i need to do what matthew's doing i need to i need to find that same energy that same inspiration that same fire so i too can be a better leader and it just trickles down that chain of command do you see that often now with what with how you lead imparting itself to uh, people under you and people on your teams. I, I hope so. 
I'd like to think that different people have different approaches to that. Not everybody is a, a lifelong learner in the same way. And not everyone has that uh, geeky curiosity slash otaku obsessiveness about learning new things. Right. right. I, I respect that too. Um, but in, in the business, we give everybody 12 paid days a year for training and development. So they, they, and they go to our holiday system and they book them off as holiday day, effectively as holiday days. So we're ring fencing learning and development time. We give everybody a budget of um, it's a little over a thousand dollars a year to spend on training and development. They they come to us. I want to do this course. Can you pay for it? Yes. We we um, give everybody a company Kindle, and we have about eight hundred books in the Kindle library, and they can just buy any book they want. So we're 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 trying to make an environment where the resources and the time and the money are available for people if they want to learn and they want to develop. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. We're just trying to make, we're trying to provide a very large lake and it go, Hey, look, there's water. That's Come it. drink. I think, I think that that's a, that's a massive, a massive uh, feather in your cap because a lot of times, especially in the current climate, everybody's kind of just beating the horse, beating the horse, beating the horse and not taking a second to say, Hey, listen, you know, the horse needs a drink. The horse needs a break. And I kind of want to touch on that a little bit, especially because the climates have changed so much. You as a, as a leader and as a CEO, you know, how were you, how did COVID impact you and what lessons did you take away from it over the last two years as a, as a, as a business person? Mm. Well, we, we have always been remote working. Um, we never had an office because of the experience of selling, <laughs> selling my business. And I mean, I never want to have <laughs> an office to manage again, paying rent to everybody. I don't want to do that. So that was a, so from a, from a very practical perspective, we never broke our stride. We just carried on working and, and, and our clients struggled with it. So we, we put a lot of effort at the beginning of the COVID crisis into helping people and communicating how we did it. Like, what do you need to work remotely? And it's not just, you know, set up Slack and buy a Zoom license. There's a bit more to it than that. Well, everybody's figured that stuff out now. So we've got, so what, what's sort of interesting about COVID for us it, was you know obviously the economic impact affected our business like everybody um but we grew and we came out of it i mean we're not covid isn't over but we're coming out of the pandemic phase perhaps um as a business stronger and wiser and kind of more confident in our remote working approach um we have in a month's time the first company in person meeting for two and a half years and I'm so looking forward to actually meeting my colleagues in person. Some of them who live in London, I've met in person, but for everybody, we fly everybody. in. We used to do this four times a year and now we're, we're just beginning to get back to that. What did we learn from it? Hmm. I think, I think the same thing that good companies learn, relearn, relearn every day, every week, which is focus on the essentials, prioritize customer service, Make sure you've got your pricing and your business model right. Um, do the things that matter. And I think I think a lot of people went into the COVID crisis, and we certainly did, and we had a very intensive, hard look at the business. Like, what do we what do we sell? Who do we sell it to? What are we doing? What 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 money are we spending that we can stop spending? Where do we need to invest our time? How do we? It, it, it was a forcing function to do what every good business should be doing automatically, which is running their business efficiently. And I think I think that was the thing that we learned. And it, it, as I look at the business now, all the things I'm happy with are like that. And all the things I'm sort of frustrated with and don't work are because we're going back to old habits of spending money we don't need to do and not paying attention to the most important things. And so I'm constantly trying to just let's just let's just run the business as well as we can yeah i i i take i'm taking from this that you are a firm believer in working nimbly meaning again relying on the essentials being tactical and using that as a barometer to kind of form a baseline foundation of success and the thing about it is that your your methodology and your rationale unfortunately a lot of people just they exactly like you said they kind of just were like eh, it's over Everything's back to normal. And I always tell people that this these last two years exposed a lot of inefficiencies. And the thing about it is that now that the inefficiencies are out there, 
people are trying to work to correct them, but now they've gotten complacent and they just stopped working on those inefficiencies. I told people all the time, like I remember working in an office and them saying, yeah, we can't work remote. It's impossible. How do we know if you're working? And I, and when everything happened and I was a remote employee, I said to myself, I feel I'm working more now than I worked in an office. Because if you think about it, going back to what you were saying, if you're in a physical space, you got to stop for a meeting. You got to stop for some chatter. You have to stop for this. You have to stop. Meanwhile, if you're home, it's like you get up, you go to the fridge, you get a cup of coffee, you come back, you keep working. You get, you go outside, you get some sunlight, you walk around your house a little bit, come back, you keep working before you know it. You're, you're having a 10 hour day instead of a six hour day or an eight hour day. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm doing more. So the company's benefiting. I, I th- this is, you understand my bias for this always having been remote working, but right. I think bad managers and badly managed companies find it very hard to do remote working, not technically, mm-hmm. not in, you know, actually, but in, in how they manage their people. Yes. Because I think fundamentally they want to see people's hands typing, right? They want to, they want to see people sat at their desk doing their job. They want to be able to call them. They want to exercise their power as a manager by being able to summons people and by being able to impose themselves physically or in, in the environment. Um, well-run companies, I think, didn't have it, have it so difficult because they had good quality people who were well-trained, who were well-motivated, who were engaged, who knew what their job was. They had good IT systems and IT management that was able to make the transition easily. They were able to trust. They already had that trust with their staff. So they were say, you know, setting, managing by objectives. They were measuring outputs, not measuring inputs. And if you're in that category of company, remote working is no obstacle. In fact, it's 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 enabling. The other thing that bad companies, this is Matthew's second rule of remote working. The other thing that badly run companies think about remote working is great. We can sell all our offices and save money by doing it. Or we can, you know, and it's the same mentality, by the way, in, when we back, back when we weren't uh, working from home that made cubicles smaller and smaller and mm-hmm. trying to get more people into the same amount of space and hot desking. These are all ideas that come from badly run companies where they're trying to save money. I will tell you for articulate marketing before COVID, I absolutely know for a fact we spend the same amount of money making our business remote working, enabling that, for example, with a chief happiness officer in a company of you know then 10, 15 people. Um, training budgets, holidays, all the, the training time and all these other things. We spent as much money as it would have cost for us to go rent an office, right? Wow. We were, we, you know, it wasn't a cost saving measure. It was, we spent, we, set, we took the money we saved from not having an office and spent it on the people. That is, that is tremendous. And, you know, b- before we, we move on in the conversation, I want to ask, especially because of someone who was in a remote working environment and who promoted that heavily, how did you keep yourself motivated over the last two years? Because again, things got dire. I know in the UK, things got incredibly uh, stringent <laughs> to, to put it, to put it mildly. How did you, how did you keep yourself motivated every day to get up and, and, and push through and be a leader for your organization? Yeah, it, 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 it was very, the first lockdown particularly because there was a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty. And the lockdown in the UK, that first one, March, April, mm-hmm. was very strict. People just, you, you would go out and there would be no cars and there'd be no people. And I had to do a, an emergency run out to my mother, who's quite elderly and, and frail. And I drove along the busiest motorway in the UK and I didn't see a car. I drove for an hour. You know, it was, it was a little bit like post-zombie apocalypse time. It was very strange. And I think people were scared. I, I, I don't know... I mean, it, 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 there were some elements of that that were emergency measures. And one of the things that I think one of my colleagues came up with, which I thought was a very, um, very noble invention, was we had a, a sort of a, a, a circle of care. So everybody in the company had two, two relationships. They were assigned somebody that they were listening to, and they were assigned somebody who was listening to them. 
Wow. So this went around the company. So everybody had these two relationships with a, with buddies in the company. It was done in a very structured, formal way. And at the worst of that very scary first month, they were calling in every day to one another. And the, the idea was, you know, you, you just got on the phone, you just on a Skype call or whatever, and you talked to the person for whom you were supporting. You were the supporter. You said, how's it going? How's it, you know, what's, what, do you know anyone who's sick? Do you need anything? Can we help? What's going to happen? How, how are you feeling? And we gave them some training and coaching around that. And then they got to f- talk to their person who was listening to them. Go, oh, my God, I'm really worried about this and my kids and I can't do it. I'm homeschooling. I've got, I, can't, I can't get deliveries. We've run out of toilet paper. Who knew that was going to be a shortage? That's right. And it was so there was but everybody did both roles. Everybody did both roles. And, and I think that that was that was a very and that 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 was a I, there was a moment in, in that. In, in all the fear and uncertainty and anxiety about it, where I think we came together as a company very strongly, it was very bonding um, to, to do that. And that wasn't, that wasn't a leadership thing. That was just sort of mutual care. That is amazing. And to, to hear that and to see something like that implemented is just, it's not something you hear. It's not something you see every day. And the thing about it is that I admire the fact that you were like, hey, how are you doing? What do you need? Because I think that that's where so many things break down because I know a lot of times and, and I'm sure I'm sure in your in your tenure in your career, you've seen this where it's like every company's we're all a family. We're all the you know, all the all the kitschy, you know, jargon that's used. But you didn't foster that by force. You just said, listen, we're here. We're here to help. If you need help, we're here to listen if you need listening. And that was it. You didn't try to gift wrap it in some sort of mantra or hokey, you know, jargon to get people to be a part of it, which was well, it, it, amazing. It, it emerged quite organically. Mm-hmm. Um, but the company, what we were doing, what we were doing as a, a company was trying to facilitate and bring some structure and some communication to it and some training and some resources. And, you know, we had a whole um, like uh, pages on the internet about if you were listening to somebody and you heard this, you, you know, here are the resources you can go get. If you need this, here's how we can get medicine for people. Just, just, cause we didn't know what was going to happen. That's I mean, right. Just, you know, we're just really trying to help. Um, and so the companies there is not, um, I don't, I'm not trying to take credit for it. Cause I think Paul gets the credit for, for coming up with this, but I'm very, I was very proud. I was very proud of, of, of everyone's care for one another then. Um, and it, it actually telling this story now and reflecting back on it, it, it's, it's something we want. I would, I would like to find a way of fostering. I mean, now we, we do sort of happy half hours and, and some of the usual zoom stuff and there's time to talk meetings and things. You know, Liz, our, our chief happiness officer is very good at con- convening people, getting people together and getting them to talk. But right. Yeah. I think mm. that's that's such a such an amazing thing and like I said it's not something I've never heard that before and the fact that not only were you like I said just a resource but just more importantly an ear because I think that's where sometimes people they forget like sometimes you don't need to give an opinion people just need you to listen and that's enough and then maybe at the end you could say like like you were saying there's resources hey do, if you need this you might want to go here but more importantly, you had someone that would listen because it was a dark, it was a dark period. And the thing about it is that coming out of that dark period now, people forget that we still need organizations to listen. Yeah, They kind of just shut that off. They kind of just turned off the spigot as soon as there was a, 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 a theme of normalcy. And then a lot of what's been happening now, a lot of the think pieces and things that you see, and I'm sure you've seen them as well, is, you know, the 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 people prioritizing mental health, the people quitting jobs in force because they're, they're realizing like I'm home and I need that mental balance to be functional. Well, I've, I've noted, I mean, it's in the last couple of years, uh, two, I mean, we're, we're 18 now, 20 people. So it's not a huge company, right? Two people have moved to a four day week for just adjusting their life a little bit. Right. And two of the senior managers that we've hired came in on a four-day week. 
So out of the company, one in five of the company is working four day weeks. And I think that was something that probably pre-pandemic we would have been much more reticent and reluctant about. And we recognize, as you say, this this need to just kind of allow people a bit more space and a little bit more time. And, you know, I, I think that's very valuable. And I think that uh, similarly, this 12 days um, training time came in in the came in last year again just to try and give people and the other thing we we actually we did this last year and we haven't done it this year but we should we took this idea from hubspot of a week of calm so that a week with no meetings right give everyone given a week where you just do your job if you want to you know do some training if you want to work on some process you just 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 we'll just take some of the pressure off you know some of the that routine you know, and damp down the number of Slack messages and emails and just sort of help people have a bit of space. Um, that is amazing. So it, it, it's in, and because I think, I think I, I know from my own experience running my business, and I, and I think this is commonly true. I think, I think there isn't a growing awareness of the need to respect and support people with their mental health and well being. It's really important. I think there's also, I'm very increasingly aware of the, the value and the, the need to work around neurodiversity um, over the last few years and, and how different people have different working styles and have different requirements and different needs. So all these things are coming to the, 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 the fore. Um, and I think the pandemic has acted as a sort of an amplifier of those positive trends. I, I think that they were always there, but we're much more conscious of it now, I think. And then it's not just us. I think this is just in, in the environment. No, I and agree. So, I think this this idea of this sort of great resignation and people the, the very weird job market we have at the moment. A lot of that is just people adjusting themselves to kind of. I learned something in the pandemic that I need a particular particular work pattern, or I yep. need to work four days a week, or I need to work remotely, or legitimately, I actually like being in an office. I want to go. And for example, we had our um, editor in chief. You know, we work remotely. Uh, she's up in Liverpool. And she liked being in an office and having hubbub around her. She liked right. noise and it, just the environment. So, you know, as part of our offer to her was we we pay for her to go to a shared workspace. So she can go to an office, it's not our office, right. and be in that environment. Ironically, and this is a bit a bit embarrassing, the shared workspace is in the floor below the place where she used to work. So I expect she also gets to run into her old friends as well. That's um, nice. So some people need that too. But that respect for diversity of needs, I think, has come out of it. That is that is amazing. And to hear that and, and the fact that you're so willing to embrace that is just massive. And I want people to be uh, fully aware of that. I want to be respectful of your time. I want to shift gears a little bit and jump into what we like to call the hot seat it's a series of rapid fire questions, some uh, based on our conversation, others based on just personal experiences. And then we go from there. All right. So what's the first place you go to when you open your phone or computer in the morning? <laughs> at the moment, um, I'm trying to wean myself off looking at the news. Mm, uh, yes. Scrolling, but you know, there's a lot of doom and a lot of scrolling to be done. Duolingo. I'm trying to teach myself Romanian at the moment. Oh, okay. So I, Duolingo is probably my first non-news thing. What are three mobile apps you can't live without? Ah, well, Duolingo. I've, they've completely hooked me and gamified <laughs> me. Um, and I, I'm in a running battle with my wife and a couple of my friends for points there as well. Um, I use. Um, this is going to sound really uh, odd. I use an app called Todoist, but I use it mm-hmm. as a data entry into the big project management tool that we have. So I, I put tasks, whenever a thought occurs to me, I put a task in there and it gets sort of zapped through Zapier into ClickUp where I then run my life. That's um, cool. Notion is the other thing. I just absolutely love Notion. I love Notion too. I use Notion as the the backbone to prepare for podcasts. So it is it is amazingly um, productive for me. So uh, it's good to hear a fellow, fellow notion user. Um, what's a website you recommend to people often? I, well, I, okay. I have been a long time subscriber to the New Yorker. I love the writing there. I love the way they, the stuff they write about. Um, so we have a a company subscription to that. That would be my recommendation for, 
you know, if you want to be a better writer, go read The New Yorker. Uh, a, a friend of mine used to work in the office above theirs, um, and um, I, he, we went down to the New Yorker, and I went into the New Yorker office. Like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. <laughs> and then back out again. He was at Vanity Fair, so That's also awesome. a pretty reputable magazine. But <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, what was the last thing you looked up on YouTube? Oh, um, it was this morning. Um, a comedian talking about the um, what, business cliches that it was for a, pol- a, a blog article I was editing. Um, yeah. Nice. When you're when you're writing, do you work in silence or do you have music playing? 50/50. Um but if I'm writing and I've got music on, I don't listen to the music. It's white noise. White noise. Yep. What was the last book you read? I just finished a book about I'm a military history nerd, among other things. Uh, I just finished a book about HMS Warspite, which was a battleship that served in World War One and World War Two, and it was the the biography of a battleship. Um, wow. Gave right. me great geek pleasure. <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about TV. Uh, what was the last TV show you watched? I'm, I'm I'm enjoying a lot the new Lord of the Rings Rings of Power on Amazon. You can literally see the money falling out of your television <laughs> when you're watching yes. that. I was like, oh my. Um, and, and the other show that I've, I've really enjoyed, um, uh, binge watching is, is a show called Endeavor, okay. which is, uh, a, a, a set in Oxford and it's about a, a detective in Oxford. Um, uh, Inspector Morse people may remember it's the prequel to Inspector Morse. And, and I, when I went, I went to Oxford, so I'm quite enjoying, you know, pointing yeah, things I out. recognize that. Place. <laughs> um, what was, um, your favorite toy growing up? Well, Lego. Look, I'm st- it's still my favorite oh, toy. Oh man. <laughs> oh, that R2D2 is amazing. Oh, yeah, have you can you see that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, that's how I knew I that's how I knew my wife was the the gal for me. So we were, we'd been dating about 6 months and it was my birthday and she bought that for me. That's amazing. I got you for your birthday. I was like, "Yes, will you marry me?" <laughs> <laughs> that that is outstanding. Obviously, um do you you with your background in gaming do you still play any games yeah it's i'm still sort of recovering from knowing how they're built you know you, you, they say you should never know how sausages are made yeah uh, because it'll put you off for life um so the games i enjoy are like very obscure esoteric things i like a game called a dark room i enjoyed that very much i like um um uh, strategic command which is a sort of hex war game um, produ- produced by a former colleague of mine, Ian McNeil, and uh, you know that th- that sort of thing. It's I, I don't play running around shooting games. Oh, and I'm really enjoying the new Microsoft Flight Simulator on my Xbox, which makes me nost- you know yearn <laughs> for the skies. Are you are you still flying, or have you? When was the last time you flew? Um, I I'm medically grounded at the moment, so I'm not flying um, a lot at the moment. But I did two or three weeks ago with my old flying buddy and my old flying instructor, my, my old flying buddy made a ton of money and he, he um, chartered us that uh, were rented for the day, this Cirrus jet, which is a single engine jet. And it's small enough that w- with John, who is our, our mutual f- f- friend and flying instructor, I got to sit in the captain's seat and fly it back from France after lunch because I, you know, I've got my license still, but I, I can't fly solo. Right, John sitting in the right hand seat. So I got for the first time in my life got to fly a jet, and I was so happy. And I landed it back at Oxford, at Oxford Airport, and it was like the ha- the best landing I for me I've ever done because I, I hadn't flown properly for a few years, and I I nailed the landing. I absolutely. So the last time I flew was three weeks ago, but not for four years before that. Wow, that's that's tremendous. Um. Obviously, we, we we talked about Lord of the Rings, but leads me to a question: What's your favorite fictional character? <laughs> oh, well, I might have to think about that one. But I I'm 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 it's too glib to say Gandalf or Sherlock Holmes, but they're the ones that seem to sort of pop into my brain for memorability. Absolutely. I mean the the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock was outstanding. I was. And I and I'm I'm a big fan of Sherlock Holmes. I thought Robert Downey Jr. did a great job as Sherlock Holmes with Jude Law. But like Benedict Cumberbatch, him and him and Martin Freeman, they just they just knocked it into a completely different stratosphere with the way they approached it. It was so so good. Yeah, that was a that was a lovely series. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, um 
Who is your favorite content creator? I I I like the um the podcast Hardcore History. Um and my little goldfish brain is trying to remember the name of the guy who does it. Dan Carlin. Yep. Um that that I just really enjoy the way his mind works, and I lo- I love this sort of long form narrative. Um, there's another p- podcast that I'm enjoying called The History of World War Two, and I can't I honestly can't remember the guy who does it, but that that stuff. I so it, content broad, broadly, I love I love history podcasts, and I love those. I particularly Dan Carlin's my my, my main man. Awesome. Um, what's a non negotiable for you when it comes to business? I we're a B Corp and there are some businesses um that we don't want to work for. Um so there you know, there are some exploitative kinds of companies and we want to avoid you know, arms companies and that, that that sort of thing. Um, um so that sort of non negotiable, sort of that, that ethical if it's very clearly black and white, I don't want to Absolutely. go near there. Um I get very upset with clients who treat us disrespectfully or prospective clients disrespectfully as order we call them order take uh, order takers they want to just like you're my vendor i'm just gonna i want this 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 and i want it by thursday and i'm gonna tell you how to do it treat us very much like what we want is to be treated like a trusted partner and right. an advisor and like co-equal co-creating and experts in our field why would you hire us otherwise if you know what you want what you do just get somebody else get a freelancer to do it so i, I that that if people are, you know, doing the Steve Jobs, I'm going to tell you how to do your job jerk thing, that really gets my goat and I don't like it. It does. Luckily, it doesn't happen very often and we're very wary of it. Is it non-negotiable? No, not always. You pay us enough, we'll put up with it. But in the long run, it, 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 those relationships never work out well. What's a business milestone you're proud of? I was enormously proud when we became a B Corp. Um, I We're just going through 20 employees now, um, hopefully the Number 20 starts on Monday. That's a nice milestone. Um, yeah, um, and sort of negative milestone when I sold my games company. I was very happy not to be there anymore. <laughs> I mean, nice colleagues and stuff, but the, the, the job had changed to a point where I didn't enjoy it. I don't know if that's very helpful. None of those are particularly inspiring. No, no, no. It's all, it's, it, it, it's all part of the story. What's something you purchased recently that's less than $100 that made your life easier or just more enjoyable? <laughs> I don't know if it was hundred dollars. It might have been like hundred and twenty, but I got a play date. Oh man! This, this it's got a little handle on it, and you can play games by turning the handle. And it's yellow, and it's just the cutest, most adorable thing. Ever. I've seen it and on TikTok. Like, That's awesome. Super geeking out about, and I waited a year for it. So I'm also, you know, <laughs> it was lots of anticipation. But, uh, but it's what is something or someone that brings a smile to your face? <laughs> my cat my I, I ought to say my wife she's listening to this yeah you do every time i see the cat she's just so adorable i think if the if one thing that has dramatically improved my life that i never thought i would like is being a cat owner having a cat in my have a having a, every day with a cat in it is a good day awesome our our last uh segment for the podcast is what i like to call reach one teach one it's a piece of actionable advice we give our listeners before we wrap up um, in your case, you are selected to speak to a graduating class at Oxford, and they're about to go into the business world. What's a piece of advice you'd give them as they prepare to embark on that endeavor? My my friend Claire um, gave uh, me a very good piece of advice, which I'd pay, pay it forward. A lifetime is a very long time to have a career. You don't have to do the same thing all the time. You can change um, and the second bit of advice she gave me on, on another occasion, very wise, actually, Claire, now I think about it. She said, um, do what you love and the money will take care of itself. I agree with that statement so, so, so much. Um, with that said, before we let you go, where can people connect with you, keep up with you and follow your work? So uh, obviously I run Articulate Marketing. We're online at articulatemarketing.com. There's a lot of really good resources for anyone interested in in marketing that are free blogs and webinars and, and all kinds of good stuff. So come check that out. I blog for myself about geeky things, about management, about leadership, all the things we've been talking about today, actually. A little bit of Lego, a little bit of flying also at a site called geekboss.com. And both of those sites have contact forms and 
submissions on both of those contact forms come into my inbox. So if anyone wants to get in touch with me, that's the best way to do it. And I promise you, they come right right to my email. So, you know, drop us a line. And if you're in London, come on over. I'll put the kettle on. Awesome. Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time to share the toys and tech of your trade. It's been a delight, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed my conversation with Matthew. I took away so many great lessons, and it's just great to hear people that are all about putting people first in their organizations, ensuring that they're happy, they're content, they're productive, but keeping it fun, engaging, and exciting. I think one of the biggest problems that's going on in the current work climate is that, that people stop putting people first. It's profits first, it's margins first, instead of putting people first that are the backbone of your organization. I learned so much from this conversation with Matthew to implement in my own business, and I hope you did too. As always, show notes for this episode will include everything Matthew and I discussed and ways for you to connect with him. Most importantly, full disclosure, as always, some of the items we discuss may contain affiliate links, which if you click, we will receive a commission at no additional cost to you. Those funds from any of those affiliate links go to giving you folks a brand new and shiny experience, whether it's better audio, better equipment, better video. You guys know the deal. Nonetheless, please use those affiliate links. We would really, really appreciate it. Calls to action, as always, if you want to follow us on social, all you got to do is punch in RageWorks. Uh, most of the time, you'll find most of our brand accounts, which are run by myself and some of the RageWorks team. But the RageWorks Podcast Network does have its own Instagram as well as its own Twitter. If you want to email yours truly, you can email me rich at RageWorks.net. And if you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, you can either email me at the email I previously mentioned or you can use our contact form on the site. And lastly, a lot of people have been asking about being on the podcast network or having their shows on the network or production services. We do offer production services via RageWorks Podcast Productions, and we are pretty much doing everything turnkey for anyone that's looking to launch a show, meaning we will hand do the editing, the production, and the distribution, and even the hosting for your audio. So that you can focus on what's most important, which is create them, cre ugh, create them, <laughs> creating kick-ass content. So if you're interested in working with us, you can reach out to me and we can set up a call and get you on your way to getting your podcast out there. And if you're looking for a new home for your podcast on the RageWorks Podcast Network, we would love to have you. Um, you know, a lot of people have been talking about podcast networks recently, myself included. And we do things a little differently because, like I said, we handle production, distribution, promotion, etc. So you can focus on the content. And as always, we would love to have more unique, interesting and exciting voices to share with our audience. So reach out to us as well. All right, folks, thanks for checking out this week's episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade. And we'll see you in the next one. Peace.
Toys and Tech of the Trade is part of the Rageworks Podcast Network, your source for rants about gaming, entertainment, and the works. Visit us at RageworksNetwork.com.